I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin. Today, you're going to meet entertainment reporter Kat Sadler. While still in journalism school at Indiana University, she landed her first job reporting local news in Indianapolis. After college, she moved to L.A. and was a recognized up-and-coming broadcaster when she landed her dream job working for E! Entertainment Television. For more than a decade, Kat was a fixture on entertainment TV. She became well-known for her work on the red carpet, chatting up stars at award shows and film premieres, picking up several Emmys of her own along the way. She even appeared as herself in Judd Apatow's film, Knocked Up. She anchored E! News Network's flagship show and covered the Academy Awards, the Golden Globes, the Emmys, and more. But after being in the spotlight for more than a decade, she resigned her post after finding out that she made half the salary of her male co-host. Today, she's a producer, designer, podcaster, and philanthropist, as well as a vocal advocate for equal pay for women. So let's rewind to the beginning and say it forward as we get the inside story from the fierce and feisty Kat Sadler. So let's start at the beginning of your life. So there you were, born in Indiana. Mm -hmm. I was born in a very small town called Martinsville, Indiana, which is actually just down the road from Indiana University. So, yeah. you know, I use kind of puts Indiana on the map in a lot of ways. So I was just down the road from there, but still a very, very small town. That's where my mom and my dad were both raised. But I moved to Indianapolis, which was considered the big city, <laughs> when I was three-ish. My parents had already divorced by the time I was two. Wow. So my mom remarried uh, when I was about five there in Indianapolis. So I already had one full-blooded sister, sibling, an older sister. But when my mom remarried, they had another son. So I grew up in a house where the majority of my childhood was with my mom, my stepdad, my sister, and then my half-brother. Until I was about 12, 13 in middle school, I moved back to Martinsville. So we relocated back to the small town. My my family was in real estate. My mom, her, her mother, her mother, in fact, was one of the first female real estate owners in the state of Indiana to open her own real estate company. Wow. She was a, a progressive, my grandmother, Frida, she was amazing. So my mom went to join that business. And so then I ended up going through high school in Martinsville, Indiana. My father also remarried and had three more kids. So wow. I really had a lot of siblings <laughs> because, and we were all very close. It was a kind of a beautiful marriage of like, I had five siblings and we were all, you know, very, very good friends. And then I went to college Go figure, right down the road at IU. So I was like that Hoosier girl. Like it was ingrained in me. I had the the, the Hoosier blood for sure until I was 21, 22. 21 or 22 was when I really got the bug to come to California and I, I – got here for the first time. I always had a, a mic in my hand growing up. You know, video cameras were the thing. There was no iPhone. I was always fascinated by people's stories. And I loved the art of the interview. And I would just drive my family crazy asking questions and pretending I was Barbara Walters. And that was like my bug. But I was also in theater and musicals and plays. And I loved that as well. So when I got to IU, I was like, hmm, do I study drama and theater? Or do I go into journalism specifically? Because 
broadcast journalism to me, that meant being on television. Yeah. And I did want to be on camera. And I did want – telecommunications at the time was more the production side, mm. the way it was designed at IU anyway. So eventually my, my grandmother – Frida. Frida. When you're, when you're from Indiana, as you well know, it's theater and drama and Hollywood. That's like – she was very practical. She basically talked me out of following my dreams of being an actress, to be honest. You know, that's what I, I loved both. Yeah. But she's like, I want you to work. I want you to have a life. I want you to have a career. And it so like journalism Indiana. makes more sense. That sounds like Indiana to me. It's Doesn't sort of it? like, yeah, it's good to have a dream, but you need to have a practical skill yeah. so you can like feed yourself, basically. Exactly. That was right. So Frida's really influential on you, isn't I she? No, she is. God love her. I Rest saw, in peace. I saw a picture of you posing in Italy. Oh, and you right. you said it evoked your grandmother and pictures yeah. you had seen of her. What mm-hmm. was that all about? What was did, did your grandparents travel a lot? They did. It, it's it's funny because I do say, you know, I'm from a small town and no one I really grew up with went out and left Indiana or or was certainly not in the business. I didn't have any like silver spoon situation where, hey, meet this person. I know everybody and therefore I had a job. But, but my grandparents did see the world and I loved that. They would travel a lot and they um, – Remember back when there were the the slides? Yes. Slides were a thing. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I'm so dating myself. You're yes. talking about the little squares. Yes. Yeah. So my grandfather loved photography, but more than anything, he loved taking pictures of my grandmother. It was so sweet, Aww. so beautiful. They were the Notebook, you guys. Like uh, truly, they were that Aww. movie until her dying day. And by the way, she also had Alzheimer's. I mean, oh, I'm not kidding so when I say that that was that movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, he took such good care of her, and so he would take pictures of her. And so as a kid growing up all my cousins and I would go through the slides and it's like there's another picture of Graham's now she's on a bridge in Paris and now she's in Germany and then she's on the rocks by the sea so I was looking through my recent um, vacation pics from Italy and I saw my boyfriend was taking pictures of me and I don't know I just it like I I just looking at the photo after the moment I was like oh my gosh I'm Graham's and 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 that just reminded me of her and my mom very similarly lovely memory I love that yeah Yeah. did your grandmother predecease your grandfather she did so he spent time without her yes Yes. he spent time without her when she got her Alzheimer's diagnosis too I mean she she suffered from that for a good 10 years was this your mother's mother or your mother's mother your mother's Mm -hmm. mother And then he outlived her another 10 years after she passed. Wow. He just passed a couple years ago. I love the story of Frida, both because it evokes this worldly person, this person who is of the world, mm-hmm. but also an entrepreneur and an ambitious woman. Mm-hmm. And so you're 21, 22. You had a dream of maybe being an actor, but then grandma pulled you back into this, this area of like something more practical. Mm-hmm. But you still got to go to L.A. Yeah. And you're 20. Yes, 21, 22. And and the second part of that story is that my own mother, my grandmother's daughter, also a pioneer, also an early feminist, also uh, a business owner and her, you know, with her own ideas about, you know, what she wanted to do and create and say in the world that very much came from my mom also. But when I was finishing my last year of college, I was also in a band. Back to me being a performer, I was in a local all-girls band in Indiana. What position did you play? I was one of the backup singers uh-huh. so there were three of us we were literally this what was the time of like the spice like girls were you called? The yeah <laughs> we were called the gypsies <laughs> did you play the bluebird um you know what i don't think we ever played the bluebird because we were more indianapolis based okay. at that point and the vogue? Um, yes we okay. played the vogue we played some really 
embarrassing dive bars. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of like New Year's Eve gigs. We ended up doing corporate gigs and making quite a lot of money at the time. So it was a good side gig for me when I was finishing college. But my mom, back to both of them really probably knowing me better than I knew myself at that time, my mom says to me one day, you're going to have to make a decision. Is it TV or is it music? And I wasn't good enough in music. I love to perform. I love to sing. Karaoke is my jam to to this day. <laughs> Give I me a mic. Forget too. about it. Yes. <laughs> But I, I also knew I'm like I'm, I'm not the next Mariah Carey. So, so I, she's like, you know, you're at that point. Or you know, you should probably decide and commit and grow something. What is that? And I was interning at the local Fox affiliate at the time, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all in. TV is it? Broadcast journalism, being a reporter, being an anchor one day. Let me just fully commit to that. And so that's kind of where California came into play because I had been working at the local TV market for about six months as a general assignment reporter, and I was covering hard news. So I had kind of left this artistic, you know, passion hustle behind for just learning the grind of of journalism, which was completely fulfilling and super enlightening. I was writing and I was editing and I was working in a newsroom, you know, back when, again, there was like one computer and dial up AOL. It was a whole different industry at the time. But I learned that I loved the 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 storytelling and I loved the creating and I loved the interviews but I was covering fires and I was interviewing homicide detectives and I was reporting my first live shot was like talking about a teenage girl who killed her baby and I was like oh this is not me okay so this is dark this is drear I'm a eternal optimist I'm kind of a sunshine personality I was like how do I merge my passions of broadcast with a career in journalism and again back to just where we were people weren't reporting on Hollywood. That was just, if you wanted to do that, you had to go to California. What year are we in? We are in 1997. So I was 21. And then as fate would have it, because I did have a decent part-time job in a pretty big market. I mean, and a lot of people at the time were saying, you need to go to Paducah, Kentucky, or go wherever. You were so lucky. Oh, I know. I know so many. Well, I yeah. had people. I moved to New York, and I worked in a global advertising agency. Mm-hmm. But I had so many people who slept on my couch yeah. and worked out of Poughkeepsie and mm-hmm. did 1010 wins from 2 a.m. till 7 a.m. Like the gigs you have to do in the beginning to be in a market like Indianapolis as a 21, 22-year-old is Mind-blowing. No, I I know, and I'm so aware of that. I'll tell you how that kind of came to be was, again, a bit of a lucky break. I mean, I was that girl. I mean, I had a full-time job. I was still finishing college, and I was doing a full-time internship and driving back and forth to Bloomington, Indianapolis, Bloomington, Indianapolis. I didn't sleep a lot, and I was so driven about it. But the break came when the news director, they were creating a segment called Youth Matters on the the news at 10, and they it was all about, like, the local teen scene and teen issues and what the youth were going through at the time. And they're like, you're young. You kind of get it. Maybe we'll give you a chance to be on TV once a week. It was just one of those breaks. And the news director said to me, go put yourself on tape. Bring it back to me. And I would go in his office every day and go, okay, look, how did I do? How did I And he'd be like, your hair is terrible. Like this, you know, all the things that you like don't think is a part of it really ends up being a part of it. It's like, bring your voice down like an octave. Like all the yeah. – he, he was great because he actually gave me direction. But yeah. I was also very hungry. So I would – I would go out with reporters. I would do fake stand-ups all the time. I would do fake interviews just to see myself on camera to know how to get better. Mm -hmm. Did you get your friends involved in? Oh, always. (laughs) Yes, yes. I all. I remember Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I was I was a disc jockey in college, in college, and I like completely fabricated my 
act. Yeah, you, you know? had to. Yeah. Like that's how you, because because nobody's going to go out and just hire you as a 21 year old, right? So back then, that's how we had to do it. Right now, everybody just has an iPhone; they can just do it all day long. Right? right? I had to go out and hire camera, mostly men, by the way, at the time, cameramen on a weekend on a Saturday and pay them like hundreds of dollars to film me and then edit and then go to an edit bay, like to even see yourself on camera. It was such a different process back what then. What a great so way to learn, though. Too. Oh, I learned you, so you knew much. How everything worked in addition. In addition, right? Yes, in addition. So the Youth Matters thing became kind of the break, but I was learning so much, and I also learned what I didn't want to do, right? And I always give that advice to young people. I say, sometimes just taking the job is learning what you don't want to do. It's weeding through what doesn't agree with how you're wired and might not be your destiny or your journey, but you'll learn what you don't want to do. And that's kind of what that experience taught me. I also like hosted a local game show and Hoosier Lottery, if you remember that. So I did get a lot of experience at a young age and I was green and I wasn't great, but I was very hungry to learn the art of that business. And so I got a phone call one day from an agent in New York, Ezra. Because of that Youth Matters segment, I'd shown up on TV maybe all of three times in Indianapolis. And I got this call from this guy who said, I saw you on TV. I'm an agent in New York City at NS Beanstalk, if you're familiar. Do you remember? And he's like, we represent Dan Rather and Diane Sawyer. And I think you've got something or, you know, whatever, Mm. the spiel. I was in the newsroom as a part-time reporter and a part-time assistant to the news director. And I didn't even know what an agent was. So I got really nervous that I wasn't supposed to be on a phone having this kind of call about my career. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll call you back. I'll call you back. I didn't call him back. Weeks went by and I was like at dinner with the main anchor of the news one night and I and he was talking about agents and his agency and he's changing agents. And so I started picking his brain and I, I said, have you ever heard of this agency? They called me. You're like whispering. <laughs> he <laughs> fell out of his chair and he was like, what? I've been trying to get them to represent me for years. They called you. Wow. It was just one of those, again, like fate things. And he goes, you make your, you put whatever you can onto a tape. You put it in the mail tomorrow. You call him and you wow. get that done. And then Ezra was my agent for 10 years. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Did he help your career? He did. He absolutely did. You know what he asked me for the first time? It was the first time someone had said to me, what do you want to do? If you could do anything, what is that? Mm -hmm. And I hadn't been point blank asked that. You know, like if the world is your oyster, because again, mindset of Indiana, mindset of uh, this is probably it for me. This is the last stop. You know, I wasn't thinking. It's it's also a mindset of I have to pay my dues Mm -hmm. in a way. And what you have is this hopscotch from you know, being driven and hungry and doing your best and God bless you learning a ton. Mm-hmm. But then fate turns things so that you have this incredible opportunity to be represented, right? Yes. And yeah. you didn't almost know that you could dream that way right. again. I didn't know I could dream that big. Yeah. That was like a lesson for me. And even though I always had the support of my mom and my family and you can do anything and you can be anything, I definitely had the confidence. Mm-hmm. But it didn't like translate to me like, whoa, you mean I can dream the biggest dream like that's a thing like oh wow you know I was so young and and he said what do you want to do and I said well what I'd like to do you know I just started mentioning all the people I saw on national television like I would like well I'd love a gig like Oprah who wouldn't you know I love uh, I would watch the VH1 video countdown about music and at the time there was a girl named Rachel Perry on doing that every day and I was like 
I would love a, a job to be on television doing interviews in the entertainment sphere, which didn't really exist in Indianapolis, Indiana. Not in the same way. Yeah, it also didn't really exist at that time. I mean, those right. shows that are on the air now weren't didn't exist then. True. There were like three. It was Entertainment Tonight, right. an extra, uh-huh. and right. the E! Network. Right. Yeah. And so... Um, and E! wasn't even that old. No, it was barely. Barely. Yeah. I, you're, you might be right. I mean, I, maybe it wasn't even E! at that point because... I grew up watching, you know, Mary Hart, right? But yeah. how pressing uh, of you to know that? I mean, that's you were ahead of your time for sure. And to be able to vocalize that and say, this is what I maybe. want, well, even well, though I don't really know what it is, I this is what I envision, envision. And you also, it sounds to me like you crossed the path of somebody who wasn't a sleazebag. Right. And you know what? Again, he, he was not a sleazebag and he was young. So it was like everything aligning where he was new to the agency and his directive was go discover, quote unquote, young talent. And so I think I was kind of good for him. He mm-hmm. found somebody he could kind of mm-hmm. groom a little and he was great for me. And then I got a call from my best friend, Santa Monica, who I'd went to college with, who's at the time saying, you belong here. You got to get out here. I'd never even been to California. I'd never been to Los Angeles. And that's when this is the fiery cat that kind of goes against the grain. I would go to Broad Ripple, which is like our local bar scene where everybody goes. And I would I kind of always knew I would leave, I guess, for, as a young girl. I would I knew I would leave. I didn't know how. I didn't know why. I just knew I had an itch my whole life, like for m- not more or better, but just to to see my eyes. I, I was a seeker very much. And um, my best friend called you. said, like, you belong out here. Just come sleep on my couch. And so I had, I had the agent who's like, just hang tight. We're going to try and get you a job and an engineer, you know, your little, little bit of experience to get you to the next place. And I had my mom going just, you know, you're paying for your apartment, you're working part time, et cetera, et cetera. And then I had my friend say, get out here. And so I quit everything at 21, 22. And I said, I'm moving to California. And my mom was like, what? And my agent was like, not yet. It's easier to get you a job when you have a job. Don't do it. I did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Best summer of my life. I was like a cocktail waitress on the UCLA campus. I saw the palm trees. I Then I got out here. I was like, oh, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty much People, true, right? It is. So I did have a job and I would go on random auditions for infomercials. Like I was just. Were you the one making those appointments or was Ezra helping? Oh, no, that was all point? me. That was all you. Ezra and I were just working on getting a really good tape together based on my game show experience in Indiana, my little bit of TV experience on the news. And then I did, I left out another story. I I did create a show in Indiana, which was very short-lived called The Groove. All of this at 2021, which was a dance show, a half hour, like very much like MTV inspired music show. And so I did have enough to make a reel look somewhat decent Mm -hmm. and that I had a year of experience. So I was in LA for two months, just kind of just living, you know, living as a 21-year-old, you know, seeking. I hated waitressing. I was terrible at waitressing. <laughs> I couldn't ever remember from the moment, like, I took their drink order. By the time I even went to put it in, I forgot what it was. I just – I didn't care enough, you know, and I was like, I'm terrible at this. So I was there for two months, and I got a beep on my pager, kid you not, and and then a, a message on my answering machine back when we had those, and it was Ezra, and he said – There's a job in San Francisco at the WB, which at the time was a, you know, flourishing new young network. 
And they're doing a news show in San Francisco called the WB20 News at 10. And they're looking for an entertainment feature, lifestyle, fashion reporter. And they want to meet you. And they're flying you to San Francisco. I mean, it was the best call of my life. It was like, is this real life? I mean, they don't think I slept for a week. I was so nervous. I remember that flight like it was yesterday because I would, like, look out over the mountains. I'd never even been to San Francisco. And... I remember like writing, I've done this my whole life, affirmations on the plane, like of why I deserve it and why I can do it and why, you know, like being really leaning into fooling myself that I could almost have a job like this. And I got that job. And that was the beginning of all of it. So now you have a career. You got a show in San Francisco. Let me just ask you, if I may, how much were you getting paid for that I'm glad you asked me that because someone just asked me that for the first time in like 20 years. I was, my salary was $50,000 a year. That which was, I know. Which, by the way, wasn't bad at that. I was like, I'm rich, you know? I never would have thought. I mean, gosh, I mean, think about it. I mean, that's less than teachers make today. Like I, it was great. I worked harder that those first two years than maybe I have ever worked in my career because although it was a big, again, another, it was like the fourth biggest market in the country at the time, it was like a startup newscast. So I was booking my own guests and I was scheduling my own guests. So I was producing the pieces and I was, and I was also, it was a live newscast. So I would be on set live doing things I'd never done. (laughs) I mean, I, I was reading a prompter. No one taught me how to do that. I was doing – so there was a real fear that I'd approve myself. So I would get in like three hours before I was supposed to. I would stay late. But I was in love with it. So it what didn't feel like work even, but I was very, very dedicated to that. But I was paid well. And, you know, it's my first time living on my own away from Indiana. And it was a really, really life-changing experience. Did that, did it, that start into something that had legs, that show that was a baby show? Did that show get legs and become more successful and yeah it did but here's how that ended so I worked for the WB for about two and a half years they also then merged with KNTV which is a San Jose station so then I and that became an NBC affiliate so by the time I was there three years I was doing some NBC 5 p.m. news hits and I was doing the WB at 10 so I was getting all this great experience I got engaged to my college sweetheart Kyle who had came to San Francisco with me and we had been there three years at this point he proposed I got engaged and six weeks later found out I was pregnant wow but we had Austin I was 26 at this point and I had a really tough pregnancy. So I was on bed rest from the time I was 18 weeks until Ooh, he was wow. born. Like severe bed rest. Like sitting on a stool in the shower, um, couldn't leave the house except to go to the hospital. It was – I had like a lot of early preterm labor symptoms. So it's a really scary time. So the pregnancy was difficult. But when I was due to go back to work three months later after, I just – I was having so much anxiety. I was having night sweats. I was like, I can't do this. I, you know, to throw at the time – daycare was so expensive. We couldn't afford any. And it was all, all those like – it was one of those really um, moments in my life that for sure shaped me in that I had to decide, am I going to – go back to work or am I going to quit work or we, what are we going to do? And so Kyle and I decided to move back to Indiana for one year. And my thing was, after talking again with my mom, she was like, you know, you will never get this year back. If you if you really are getting this like overwhelming feeling to be with your baby, then you listen to that. Just listen to that kind of inner turmoil. TV will always be there for you. You're young and, and if you can and you want to take this year with, with Austin – 
then do that. And Kyle supported that as well. He got a job transfer. We went back to Indiana. And on the day Austin turned one, I signed my next TV contract. Wow. The old TV station, Fox, that I worked for five years earlier, literally called me up. They're like, we heard you're in town. This is great. A couple months before, would you want to like dabble in our new morning show? And I was like, sure, let me come on a day or two or three. And I did that when Austin was about nine months old. By the time he was a year, I had a full-time job again. So you got your cake and eat it too. <laughs> it was so nice. It must have I been amazing. I that year. I, I feel so grateful that, you know, I was in a position that we could do that. But the thing was, when I quit that job in San Francisco, everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, but the feeling was, oh, look, she's quitting and she's going to go be a mom. And, yeah. and that's the end of her TV career. You know, it's like that sense of like, oh, she's just going to go do that and she's not going to work again. And well, good for you. And I, I could feel that. And I, so I felt this like pressure to prove them wrong. Yeah. You have become an award-winning journalist. How did that happen? Yeah. What was the so path to get to that? The first That's a big I, deal, by the thank way. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Quick. listen, the first Emmy I got was actually at that first TV station when I was 21. And that was because I was part of kind of a long story, but I was a part of a investigative news story, speaking of children, where we went in and tried to, with the parents' permission, see how easy it would be to get a child out of a daycare center with, like, without showing proof of identification or whatever. And so long oh story short, God. I was part of this investigative team in my first year there. My other Emmys were once I got to E! News. So I was in Indiana for another four years, had my second son, our second son, Orion. And then I just started getting that itch again. I was doing local news. I was doing morning TV. I was up at 3 a.m. every day, you know, in the car by 4 a.m. That grind with two young kids of doing local news in the morning Loved my work, but I wasn't much good to anybody after four years. I was like really burnt out and really tired. And I started traveling to New York and L.A. to do entertainment interviews for the Junket Circuit, which is all movie promotion and whatnot. So I was interviewing a lot of celebrities. I was liking it. I was enjoying it. And that's when that kind of resurgence of, yes, we have this really nice life in Indiana. And I was grateful and I loved it. And I was near my family. But, you know, I was 30, 31 at this time. And I was like, I, if I don't try, I'll never know. And so Ezra, still my agent 10 years later, and of course, my mom still being there in my corner said, hey, send out some ships and see which ones come back in. You never know if you don't try. And so I spent a couple months taking meetings in L.A. when I would come for work, kind of putting putting it out there that I would be willing to move or audition or try for a job in Hollywood. And three months after kind of declaring that that was what I really wanted to pursue, I was auditioning for a a show on the E! Network called The Daily Ten. And it was a brand new half-hour entertainment news show, which was commentary and point of view and celebrity interviews and whatnot. And I was auditioning for that show with all of the peers and people that I had already been watching on TV for a decade. So I was in this room, very intimidating with, you know, Chris Harrison from The Bachelor was auditioning and Debbie Matinopoulos from The View was auditioning and all these people. I was, and Rachel Perry from VH1, That Countdown. Wow. How does that come full circle? Wow. Suddenly I'm in a room with the girl who I said, I want a career like hers 10 <laughs> years later. It wasn't, was it 10 years? Yeah, it was 10, exactly 10 years later. Um, so wow. I got that job. And that is how my tenure at E! began. I remember watching you, oh, you know, and yeah. seeing you. And you're, you're uh, to our listeners, you're so pretty. Oh, and you had such yeah. a 
really fantastic. And then watching you was great. You're warm and endearing, and you became what do they call the walk? Red carpet. Red carpet. You're yeah. a I knew there of was the a red word. Carpet, really. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's that's how I know your work is from just doing that kind of kibitzing on mm. the red carpet. What's that like? What's it? What's I mean, like that's hard to do. That isn't I would it? imagine you you want to be like you're a journalist, so you want to be edgy in a way. You want to bring news. Mm-hmm. I know, but it's you got to keep the relationship going so people don't look at you and go, "Why did you ask me that question?" What's it? What's it like? It's about reading people. You know, everyone has a different approach, to your point. Some people like to really pepper celebrities and and say something outrageous to get a really outrageous response, and they have a job to do, and they're they're a little pushier. That was never my approach. I just always knew my authentic self is just genuinely curious, and I think one of the best tips I ever got that has served me really well is the more comfortable I was in my own skin, the more comfortable celebrities or anyone for that matter that I was interviewing would also feel. And in turn, whoever's watching feels better. Experience served me so well. And, you know, listen, I wasn't in the smallest market in the world, but I did have 10 years of local news before I got to national television. Before I was on the red carpet interviewing Angelina Jolie, I'd done that grind and I did pay my dues and no one just handed me a mic because I was, you know, on a reality show and was famous overnight. You know, Mm -hmm. I did the schooling. I did the grind. I did the local news. And so I had a certain just confidence because of the experience factors. So I felt like I belonged. So that helps. And then I just, you know, all I could ever do and all I say anyone can ever do is just be your best version of yourself. And so for me, it wasn't being too invasive. I mean, I've struggled with that. I mean, of course, I've gotten directive from bosses saying, Ask so and so, you know, this celebrity passed away, and then you're you're going the next day to interview his ex girlfriend. So ask the ex girlfriend about the death, and like it was just like too soon, and it would make me feel uncomfortable. There were definitely times when I didn't get the job done because yeah, it would have been a great headline for the network, but I couldn't do it. Like so, I, I probably softer in that sense. That was once upon a time too. I was younger. But I did connect with people. I think that if I had a strength that that um, served me well and that allowed me to continue at my job, I think I really connected with my subjects in a real way. I listen well. I wasn't always just about my, what was on my paper to ask. I, I feel people. I read people pretty well. I can know where to go down. Some of the best gold that I've ever gotten in an interview is when you just like, you know, you guys know you, you ask and then you just keep going down that path. Right. You know, you can't prepare for that. You can't anticipate that. There are things you don't know that aren't on the internet about somebody you're about to go talk to. I love that. I love that. And I love that now in the podcast space because I'm doing my own podcast yeah. because there aren't any rules and it's so loose and you can talk for an hour and really go deeper. And that's what was missing for me professionally is that, yeah, red carpets are cool and they're glamorous and that's fun. And I saw the world working at E. I, went, I covered royal weddings and I covered the Olympics and I've been to movie premieres in Brazil. But this is satisfying to me. Real conversations, meaningful conversations, getting below the surface in women's stories in particular, is what makes me get up in the morning now. Yeah. I have a question. What is the most surprising thing you learned in that sort of unfolding and journey? Like on the red carpet, you said, I love to be surprised by something. Mm. What Can you remember an incident where you were asking, let's say, something that you thought was a rather neutral question, but you got information that kind of surprised you? There wasn't a lot of time that allowed for that as much mm-hmm. then. Um, it was it was never as powerful. Like I, 
I could still get maybe sound bites back then or things that were interesting, but it was nothing particularly mind-blowing. I mean, that really is happening, again, not to just bring it back to my podcast, but hearing real women's stories and, you know, on paper, okay, she's an entrepreneur and she's running, you know, a multi-million dollar business and she's a beauty blogger and she's all these things on paper, but then you get someone in front of you. I mean, like you guys are asking me about my grandmother. I, I don't think I've ever talked about Frida in my 20 years. Like, mm-hmm. I appreciate you even just caring <laughs> yeah. because then you really learn the the nuance of a human being. It's so cool yeah, and we that's, all... That's why we're doing I know, it's great. And and that's why, like, this girl comes to mind, Cezanne Hendricks, who, you know, um, she's, like, if you go to her Instagram right now, she's, like, stunningly beautiful, and she has deals with Bobby Brown and all these huge cosmetic companies, and she's, you know, got one of the most popular YouTube channels online right now, but... She sat down for my podcast, and I start learning about her childhood. Her parents were Muslim. She wasn't allowed to date all through high school, raised in a little town in Texas, but falls in love with a white boy Christian and hid it from her parents for, like, her whole high school experience, went off and fell in love, decides to become a hardcore Christian, leaves her family's religion, didn't speak with her parents for two years. They weren't at her wedding. I mean, it was the wildest story, but it all came full circle, and now they're all happily ever after, and, you know— but those like to hear her struggles and right. how she hid from her own parents and to how she came out the other side of that, like these stories of resilience and struggle and adversity mm-hmm. and how uh, women are just so cool. It's you know? amazing to me. Survive you know, the, the, all that. the emotion that to me is the most nauseating of all the emotions <laughs> is jealousy. Mm. I cannot understand. I, I say to people, I've said this many times in many public speeches about two two things that both wrap around the same topic. You don't know me well enough to be jealous of me. You know me to what you see of me. I'm the top female financial advisor in the country. Now, I only say that to you because I get a lot of envy as a result of that. You know, women are, uh, and I look at them and I go, you don't even know me. You don't know that I didn't finish high school. I got married when I was 19. I worked my fucking ass off to get to where I am today. There's nothing to be envious of. You know, I don't know. I'm pretty envious of all of that. Oh, well, it's pretty in impressive. that, but it's like, you, that's like, like the headline you did news, with that. right? But yes, I hear exactly the, what you're saying. And I hate that. And the that second envy, thing that I yeah. really hate, and this sort of dovetails to you and the, your, what I would say, um, controversial awesome thing about pay disputes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what was the lead up to your the pay dispute which is so famous Mm. and Mm. talked about Mm -hmm. which by the way you go girl oh well thanks (laughs) i mean listen it was brought to my attention there was a huge disparity in the last year that i was working there so i'd been there 12 years at this point a female executive actually told me in a closed door meeting hey, you should know you're severely underpaid. And I think at the time she was telling me this because I was doing two shows at the time. I had started a new show called The Daily Pop where I was the main host of that for two hours live every single morning. And I was doing E! News in the afternoon for the nightly show. So I was working more hours than I'd ever worked. I'd been there 12 years. My contract was going to be up at the end of the year. And so she kind of points out, hey, you should know. And at the time I thought, I'm so embarrassed. At the time, again, this was probably almost three years ago now when I found out, I was embarrassed because I thought I'd never even thought to ask, you know, what what's he making? And, you know, I just – you head down. I was making good money. I was getting those little bumps every year for those, you know, how many, however long I'd been there. But I didn't know just – what that disparity was. So she 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 clues me to it. Then I ask my co-host. He is a very good friend of mine, and he disclosed how much he was making. So then it was like, okay, I've got the facts now. The reason I felt so convicted in 
speaking out about the issue was because he and I started the same year. And you know, it's funny that I've never even really brought up in an interview because I'm, I, I really am trying to be fair about this. We started the same year at E. We were there, both there for 12 years, been on similar shows, both been hosts, similar profile. But the fact of the matter is I actually had, because I just told you my whole story, 10 years of experience before I even got to E. This was his first full-time job was E. So I always say we had the same experience. In fact, I had more, 10 years more. And mm-hmm. I've never even brought that point up because I want people to realize that for me, it was it really was an apples to apples situation because there have been women on the air there that make more than the men, but these were women who had three shows and 10 more years experience and had managing editor titles. So there are obviously a lot of variables that go into what people get paid. And it's never going to be just exactly the same, equal pay, equal work. You know, people have different experience or different education and all those things go into it. But for me, it was, we are all but the same person, same piece, same chess piece at this network, but he's a guy and I'm a woman. So I asked for what I was worth. I told my team of agents, let's we deserve ballpark. This is not fair on principle. And they just refused me. It's really that simple. And I said to my team, well, if they don't meet me ballpark, then I'm going to walk. And no one thought I would. And, you know, here's a mama too in her mid-40s, dream job, thousands of young girls in line to take my place. They never thought I would leave. And I did. And now? Well, why I said that's kind of funny when I'm sitting here talking about it, it's that when I left, there the other piece was, do I tell the story of why I'm leaving? Because I couldn't do that on air, right? I'm on their air, and I and I didn't want to leave, you know. I, I wanted to tell the viewers just goodbye and thank you after all those years of being in their living rooms around the world. So I did that in, in peace and in gratitude for the run uh, before the departure. And then I wrote a blog, my blog on my website, thecatwalk.com to share my truth of my story and why I actually left, because I felt like I owed it to the people. I didn't know if people would even care. I really did not. Oh, yeah, they cared. And, I mean, my plan was develop my website, grow that digital presence, work on my business, get another TV job. That was my plan. I had no idea that 10 days after I left, Time's Up was born, right? So I did this before Time's Up was even Time's Up. But it became such a conversation piece, and it me- it blew up so quickly, and it was in the press so quickly. And 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 then these A-list actresses like and people were coming to my defense in a way that I never predicted, and, and it just blew up. And so then I felt like I had an obligation to lean into this issue of pay inequality and to lean into championing women and what we deserve and celebrating and and so – you know, a lot of people's like, oh, now you're the poster child of equal pay. Well, I didn't ask for that job, but I feel like now I've heard from so many girls and women around the world, please keep fighting this fight. You have enough of a voice. You have enough of a platform. You have this reach. Just please continue to bring attention to to this. Yeah, I also think it's really powerful that you didn't sue anybody. Yeah. That it was about, you know what, because of the service and the fact that you don't value me by compensating me properly, I'm walking. Was there ever any uh, further discussion after this happened to renegotiate with you? Mm-mm. No, no, no. They they came out in the press and tried to do you know this these um, pathetic quotes about you know justifying what they did. The beauty of that is that I I really had to say very little after that point because the viewers did the talking for right. me. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, back to social media. Like, what are you talking about? I'm pretty sure I saw her on the same show with him every night of the week. For You know, people saw, people knew, people saw us as 
for all intents and purposes, equals at the network. Right. So they had a real publicity problem after that, you know. So no, there was never any further discussions. And and the do I sue piece was a it was something I contemplated, I bet. and I had a I lot bet. of people asking me about that, and that was one I really wrestled with. But I didn't want suing them to take away from just the the purpose and the principle of of just the unfairness. I wanted that to speak for itself. And I could have, I also wanted to work again. And we also know this town, if I became the woman that sued, then that's going to follow me around also. Mm -hmm. And is that going to scare future employers? And is that going to, you know, then that's a part of my story. So um, trust me, I had a lot of attorneys call me and say, you Mm -hmm. should be suing, you should be suing. And um, I just, I didn't want to be wrestled up in that for it's Ever. a very – that's a conflicting problem. I, I would yeah. I would think the same thing you did. I'd have to really weigh it and make the decision. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is you come back to Frida, mm-hmm. you become an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. like really an entrepreneur in the mm-hmm. space that you created for yourself through your career of however many – what was – how many years had you been a broadcast journalist and now you're an entrepreneur yes. in the – Media space. Yeah. 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 That's so true. That's so true. And what's the back point to Frida, of, I never thought of it. But what's like the that. point of you if you're naked? Your your podcast yeah. naked. So Which by the way is an awesome name. Thank Love you. That. Thank you. It's it's funny because you know, I spent about six months just kind of recovering from my departure because just physically even having been on air all those years on TV day after day after day after day, I kind of came down from that. And then I did have my website, which had never um, – my website, for those who kind of followed my career, was more just fashion and lifestyle and fitness and some shares on a blog um, and whatnot. But I knew I wanted to, to continue interviewing at, as quickly as possible. And I thought, well, here's my – I own this. How am I going to do that? So I just started calling on my friends at first to do – interviews that were transcribed to just be read on my website. And so the naked part of that was just what's 180 degrees at the other side of reporting on the housewives and the Kardashians, right? Like what's just, (laughs) what's real and deep and like meaningful and thought provoking. And, and again, I want to like, I want to talk to women about things other than just, you know, promoting their film or, you know, I want to go deeper. So naked seemed like a good name and, and then my friends or, you know, people in the business kept saying yes. I mean, I got Gwyneth Paltrow to be on my website and Amy Schumer was on my website and Molly Shannon and these phenomenal women kept saying yes. And I was like, well, wow, I'm on to something. When Molly Shannon was in my living room, like reenacting like Saturday Night Live skits, but yet it was just the written word. I thought, oh, God, no, this has to be a podcast or it has to be television again. And so Naked Online transitioned into Naked the Podcast. And so now Naked the Podcast has been around for about three months. It's in my bedroom. I mean, it's, you know, I was pitched by some of the bigger podcast companies, you know, come to the conference room and do your podcast. And I was like, no, I want this to feel intimate. I want women to feel vulnerable. I want them to feel open when they come into my house and literally sit in my bedroom with me and take something off because that's how my podcast begins. So <laughs> take Anything off, whether it's your gorgeous jewelry or your glasses or your red lip or your stilettos or your bra. Jennifer Lawrence took her bra off in my bedroom. (laughs) That's so funny. Right? But the shedding and taking off a little armor that we all walk around in, it it is an exercise, but it does kind of evoke just – letting it hang out right right? so then you I've in turn been getting these really great powerful conversations because people are letting me in and the point of letting me in is that I want the listeners to feel less alone right because I think whether you're an A-list celebrity or you're a big movie star or you're a pop star or you're a beauty blogger or you're an entrepreneur or whatever industry 
we're all far more alike than we are different. I mean, back to your point, you're the top financial advisor in the country. I mean, look at your gorgeous home and all this art. But guess what? You still suffer from stuff, right? You're a mom. You got four kids. Things keep you up at night, right? Like no matter what, anxiety comes up a lot. Depression comes up a lot. Kat Cora, the chef, was on the other day talking about, you know, she's just stopped drinking for a year because, you know, then you start abusing drugs and alcohol. I mean, these are real issues that we all go through is the point, regardless of what you do for a living or where you live in the country. And so the feedback has been really, really cool because women are just like saying, I feel like I can relate. And there's something about my show that's making women just it's like kind of therapy or feeling better and feeling less alone in their own their own lives. Great perspective. So now what are you up to? So um, I hope all your listeners will firstly listen to Naked because Naked is on all podcast platforms. So you can find it anywhere that you get your podcast. There's a new episode every single week. So we're going. We don't stop. It's not a seasonal thing. We're every single week. I still have my business, The Catwalk. That is, you know, my website and my digital business. So I do a lot of partnerships with a lot of different companies in the beauty, mostly beauty and fashion space, which I still am working on every day. I'm doing a lot of public speaking. I'm going to Vegas next week. I do a lot of these conferences that I was telling you about, Mm -hmm. fireside chats. So I'm doing a lot of that, which is really empowering and awesome to go out and talk with people about these issues and touch the women out there and give them advice and vice versa. But the TV thing I'm doing that I'm most excited about, I had a first look deal with TNT and I am developing a TV show, which I can't announce yet, but it's in its final stages and it's, it's exploring to not give too much away kind of the good, the bad, the ugly of the wellness industry. So it's kind of exploring all these things that we're doing or that we see out there, the the diet teas or the vampire facials or the CBD use or all these different things that we're seeking to try and look better, feel better, behave better. Um, I'm, I'm doing a show somewhat, again, I can't say too much because I don't want to give it away, but once I can get my TV kind of thing alive again and have my podcast space and then have the digital presence, that's what I, I mean, that's the dream. That's always been the dream to kind of be living my life on my own terms, not answering to anybody else, having my own business now where I can do this endorsement if I want to and do schedule a podcast on this day when my kids are at school or, you know, it's, I feel completely liberated and fulfilled. And of course there's more pressure associated with that. I'm not getting paid every two weeks like I was once upon a time, but right now I'm just living in this season of fulfillment professionally. It's really, really nice. Love that. It's been such an honor yeah. to meet you, really. I'm fun. so proud of you. Thank you. Really. Gosh. <laughs> so proud. Oh, geez. Well, thank you. thank you. I'm, you know, I'm just out here hustling like all of us, all of us, and I'm practicing gratitude every day. So, so far, so good, you know? Great. And we got our health. We got it. We got it all. We're, we're lucky That's to be here. That's for sure. Thank, thank you. Can't wait to thank see you. Thank you for having me. Thank can't you for coming. To, yeah. Can't wait to see your show on TNT. Thank you. Sounds very interesting. Thank you. Next time, you're going to meet Andy Schoen, a trailblazing media and entertainment executive with a career that spans radio, music, television, and digital media. At 16, he was the youngest radio announcer in the U.S. By age 18, he was working at Seattle's legendary rock station, 
KISW, where he was known as the Boy Wonder. As program director of America's number one music station, KROQ, he developed The Kevin and Bean Show, the most successful morning show in L.A. radio history. MTV hijacked his radio career and he spent most of the 90s as head of programming at MTV, later adding VH1 and leading the team that created and launched MTV2. He brought the first celebrity reality show to TV, The Rodman World Tour, starring Dennis Rodman and launched and founded two more cable networks, including Revolt TV with his friend Sean Diddy Combs. And when the internet was born, he helped bring music to it as founder and CEO of the first commercial music subscription service called Press Play, a predecessor to both Spotify and iTunes. Now he's co-founded and is building a global streaming media and information company called Speaker, launching in 2019. So join us for an impressive media journey when we rewind to the beginning with Andy Schoen on the next Say It Forward. 